Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Stephanie Lynn Abair was born on June 30, 1972, to parents Joyce and Donald Abair. At age five, she lived on the 100 block of Astor Lane of the Live Oak Floral Acres subdivision in Wagaman, Louisiana. On June 13, 1978, Stephanie left home to play with a friend at her house three doors down. But she would never make it, and hours would go by before her parents realized this. They immediately became frantic and reported her missing. A massive search of the surrounding neighborhood and wooded areas ensued, but when they couldn't find Stephanie, the FBI joined the investigation. Witnesses reported seeing Stephanie that day with a woman wearing heavy makeup and bright colored shoes. Over five months later, on November 29, 1978, a hunter found partial skeletal remains in a swampy wooded area in a rural area of St. Charles Parish, about 20 miles from her home in Louisiana. Stephanie's glasses and some of her clothing were found nearby, and it was evident that she had been bound to a willow tree. At this point, detectives became suspicious of a 16-year-old neighbor of the Abears named Roger Alexander. Stephanie was friends with his little sister and attended a sleepover at their house the night before she disappeared. Several witnesses backed up his alibi that he was helping his cousin work on a car a few blocks away. But prosecutors were sure he was the killer and presented the case to a grand jury, but they declined to indict him. However, suspicions of his involvement followed him and his family for decades, even after DNA excluded him in 2008. Then years later, the focus became centered on 70-year-old Daniel Parks when he was convicted in 2014 of sexually assaulting a 7-year-old girl in 1979. He had babysat Stephanie in the past, and the 7-year-old girl whom he sexually assaulted claimed that he told her she would end up like poor Stephanie. He testified that it was just something stupid that he had said. He denied involvement in Stephanie's murder, and there was no evidence to connect him. In 2012, 30 years later, a 50-year-old man who had lived several houses down from the Abares at the time of the murder came forward with information. He had secrets that he had held on to for three decades that had tortured him but would answer the question, who was the evil person that brutally took little Stephanie's innocent life? With encouragement from his wife, Jason J. Franklin Jr. claimed that his father, Jason Franklin Sr., sexually assaulted not only Stephanie, but also his own son and another young girl between 1975 and 1977. 
When you thought all of that was bad enough, he added another shocking claim. He said when he was six years old, his mother used him to coax Stephanie into their car, and then she handed her over to her ex-husband. The couple was divorced, but his mother, Joyce Finette, still cared for Franklin and liked to meet up with him. At the time of Stephanie's murder, Franklin had already abused multiple children and was even convicted in 1966 of one of those attacks. She denied the allegations and has never been arrested. However, Franklin Sr. was arrested on November 29, 2018 for the rape of Stephanie Lynn Abair on the 40th anniversary of discovering her remains. He was also charged with the rapes of two other children, a boy and a girl, in Bridge City in Wagaman, Louisiana. He was also a registered sex offender convicted of taking lewd photos of a nine-year-old boy. Stephanie's parents, Donald and Joyce Abair, witnessed the arrest of Franklin Sr., and then both died in 2020. Over nine years, Jay described the unimaginable sick things his father forced him to do from the age of two to six and things he witnessed, including the last minutes of Stephanie's life, and then he took them to the tree he saw his father tie her to. Despite all his details, authorities took years to build a case against Franklin Sr. and Vanette. Still, he would never face justice for Stephanie's death because he died behind bars in January of 2022 before he ever went to trial. But authorities are confident that he was Stephanie's killer, and nearly 45 years later, her case has been officially closed. They also believe they brought some closure to Jay Franklin, who was killed by a drunk driver and sadly died on June 11, 2022. On July 15, 1982, a gravedigger by the name of George Kite discovered a young woman's body beaten to death in a wooded area of Cedar Ridge Cemetery off Route 94 in Blairstown, New Jersey. Due to her injuries and late-stage decomposition, her face was unrecognizable. It was estimated that the female was between 14 and 18 years of age and had died several days or up to a few weeks before being found. Unable to determine her identity, she became known as Princess Doe and would remain unidentified for the next 40 years. Officer Lieutenant Eric Kranz of the Blairstown Police Department was the first official to respond to the scene and was the one who coined the name Princess Doe. She was buried six months later in the same cemetery where her body was found. In 1999, her body was exhumed so that samples could be collected for DNA testing. For many years, she was thought to be Diane Janice Dye, a missing teenager from San Jose, California, who vanished on July 30, 1979. Law enforcement even held a press conference identifying the remains as Diane Dye. However, Lieutenant Eric Kranz disagreed, and so did the family of Diane Dye. It wasn't until 2003, when her DNA was compared to Diane's mother, that it was officially determined not to be her. To this day, Diane has never been located. In 1999, two suspects emerged, a married couple by the name of Arthur and Donna Kinlaw. Donna was arrested in California for fraud using an alias of Elena, which was traced to a native of Long Island, New York. 
After her arrest, she gave law enforcement details about the murder of a woman she called Linda, and she and Arthur were put behind bars. Donna also gave details about two murders committed by Arthur, along with another murder in 1982, where she claimed Arthur killed a sex worker in a cemetery. She also claimed that in July 1982, Arthur brought home a teenage girl and later left with her and returned without her and subsequently cleaned his car and clothing. He also threatened to do to her what he did to the teenage girl. Arthur confessed to the claims, but was not charged for lack of physical evidence, and the couple could not provide the name of the victim he killed in the cemetery, despite spending a lot of time with her prior to her murder. Donna was interviewed by a forensic artist who created a sketch of the girl, which did not resemble the most recent composite that was created. However, Arthur was put behind bars in the year 2000 for two murders unrelated to the Jane Doe. In 2005, Arthur started writing letters to law enforcement from prison claiming to be her killer. On the 30th anniversary of her discovery, over 100 people attended a memorial service in which the Jane Doe's clothing and reconstructions were displayed for viewing. Fast forward to 2020, Princess Doe was exhumed once again and DNA extracted for genetic genealogy. The following year, Astria Forensics began the process of constructing a DNA profile and it was completed in February 2022. That's when Jennifer Moore of Innovative Forensics Investigations performed the genealogy research at no cost. She came up with a possible identity for Princess Doe and gave the name to investigators. They then traveled to West Babylon, New York, where the possible Jane Doe's brother agreed to submit his DNA for comparison as the Doe was believed to be his missing sister. She was finally identified in April of 2022, but authorities waited a few months for the 40th anniversary of her discovery to make the official announcement where retired officer Eric Kranz and the Jane Doe's family members were present. It was announced that Princess Doe was actually Dawn Olenek, who was born on August 5, 1964, in West Babylon, New York. She grew up in Long Island and lived with her parents, brother, and sister, and was reportedly kicked out at age 17. She was then murdered while allegedly being lured to prostitute, and Arthur Kinlaw, her alleged killer, was finally charged with her murder. It's suspected that when she refused, she was taken to New Jersey and murdered. However, investigators are still trying to piece together her last year of life. On February 26, 1999, a boy's body was found near a wooded cemetery near the Clifton United Methodist Church in Panthersville, Georgia. He was determined to be between five and seven years old and had been deceased anywhere from three to six months. But the manner and cause of his death could not be determined at the time. In July 2022, it was determined that the little John Doe was six-year-old William Deshaun Hamilton. Soon before his death, he and his mother had recently moved from Charlotte, North Carolina. According to records, a tipster called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in May 2020 after an artist released a rendered image of the boy to the media. 
the woman living in Charlotte had known William and had been trying to figure out what happened to him because she had a gut feeling that something wasn't right for nearly two decades. She described him as a shining star with a keen sense of humor who liked to draw and read books like the dictionary and encyclopedia. Thankfully, she never gave up on trying to find answers to his whereabouts. This led to investigators performing tests and investigating his real identity. In early 2022, DNA was collected from Teresa Ann Bailey Black to determine if she was the boy's mother, and indeed she was. An indictment claimed that in December 1998, Teresa withdrew William from school without notice and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. That following year, Teresa returned to Charlotte, but arrived without William and provided several conflicting stories about where he was. He was never reported missing, resulting in him remaining unidentified for all these years. The indictment also states that she allegedly gave him a substance of Benadryl and Tylenol and then hit him on the head with an unidentified object. She did not get him medical attention and reportedly covered up his death. On June 29, 2022, Teresa was arrested in Phoenix, Arizona, 23 years later. She faces two counts of felony murder, two counts of cruelty to children, and one count of aggravated assault and concealing the death of another. So far, no motive for the murder has been released. It is known, however, that Teresa worked at the now-defunct strip club in Atlanta known as Pleasers and may have been getting assistance from the Atlanta Day Shelter for Women and Children for a brief period. Thanks to the tipster and the authorities in DeKalb County, Georgia, William now has his name back, and his alleged killer will face justice. Lindy Sue Little Beekler was born on January 31, 1956, and later married Philip Beekler. At 19, she lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, at the Spring Manor Apartments on Claus Drive in Manor Township. On December 5, 1975, her aunt and uncle stopped by her apartment to exchange recipes, but made a horrible discovery. After returning from the grocery store, their beloved niece had been sexually assaulted and fatally stabbed in her own home. While DNA was not yet being tested, they could still collect and preserve what was found at the scene. They also found a footprint in the kitchen, and someone reported seeing a dark-colored car double-parked with the headlights on around the time the murder occurred. Lindy's husband, Philip, was ruled out as a suspect because he was at work at the time. The case would go cold, despite law enforcement interviewing hundreds of people and traveling out of state. In 1997, crime scene evidence was submitted and a male DNA profile was lifted from Lindy's underwear, but there was no match in CODIS. Then in early 2019, detectives reopened Lindy's case and sent the DNA preserved in 1975 to Parabon Nanolabs. They produced a scientific snapshot image of what the suspect likely looked like at ages 25 and 65. The suspect most likely had fair skin and dark hair. Then genetic genealogist C.C. Moore began the tedious task of narrowing down a possible suspect's name. She was successful and turned the name of a likely suspect to detectives. Authorities surveilled this man until February 11, 2022, when they were able to retrieve a coffee cup he discarded at the Philadelphia International Airport. 
They obtained his DNA and fingerprints from the cup, and lo and behold, it was a match. It was later discovered that he had also lived in the same four-unit apartment complex as the Beeklers during the murder, but was never on law enforcement's radar. On July 17, 2022, 68-year-old David Sinopoli was arrested at his home on the 300 block of Faulkner Avenue in East Hempfield Township for Lindy's murder 46 years earlier. Sinopoli later admitted to spying on a nude woman in a tanning bed where he worked at Sissy's Hair Boutique in Mount Joy, but it's unknown if that woman was Lindy. However, in the weeks before she was killed, Lindy had told family and friends she thought someone was following her. Although this coward has been free for nearly 50 years, he will likely spend his remaining years behind bars where he belongs. Thankfully, the Beekler family finally has closure and Lindy can now rest in peace. On September 29, 2014, a Union Pacific worker found human remains in an abandoned railroad utility shed near the intersection of 146th Street and Burnley Avenue West in Rosemont, Minnesota. Police believe the man may have been living in the shed that had been turned into a makeshift shelter with bedding, water, and food. No ID was located on the man, but newspapers and receipts were found, suggesting he might have died in the fall of 2013, about a year earlier. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office classified the man's manner of death as undetermined because of the condition of his remains, but speculated that he may have died of natural causes. The medical examiner determined the man was Caucasian between 30 and 50 years of age. In 2015, he was entered into NamUs, his DNA profile was entered into CODIS, and the FBI created a facial reconstruction, but the case remained cold. Following a couple more years of investigating, nearly 600 people were ruled out as being the John Doe. Then about 20 citizens came together to hold a funeral for the John Doe in Inver Grove Heights in 2017. His property and DNA samples were retained in hopes that they would be helpful when advances in DNA and fingerprint technology were made. Then in 2019, detectives decided to use genetic genealogy to try and determine who the John Doe was. Potential relatives were located, but his identity could not be determined. However, they did suspect that he had been living in New York. Then, in early 2022, the DNA Doe Project identified four common ancestors, including a possible father to the John Doe, who then provided his DNA for comparison. It was then determined that the John Doe was James Raymond Everett. James Everett's wife, Patricia Everett, says her husband, Jim, was highly intelligent and a computer geek with a passion for technology. At the age of 48, he left his home in Cohocton, New York in the fall of 2013. They recalled that he was scheduled to go on a work trip in September 2013, but for some reason he didn't go and instead left home, leaving his keys in the mailbox and never returned. After his wife reported him missing, he was located weeks later at a rest stop, prompting investigators to close the missing persons case. He mentioned to the state trooper that he was having problems at work, leading him to quit and start driving without a destination. His wife says he was also a talented cook and baker with a lot of experience in short order and fine dining throughout Rochester, New York. 
He was also a self-taught acoustic guitar player and a talented singer. He was an avid fan of the Denver Broncos and Buffalo Sabres and could instantly recite stats of nearly any player of any sports team. No one reportedly knows what Jim was doing in Rosemont, but his headstone can now bear his name. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.